So in Matthew, once again, chapter six, beginning in verse nine, Jesus said, therefore, you should pray like this. Our father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so we just pray. Jesus, once again, we bring on the, uh, the request of the disciples and we make it our own. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Uh, we want the life that you have for us. We want the relationship with you that you desire for us. And so we pray that you would continue just to chip away our false conceptions of what that relationship might look like. And you would fill in its place a deeper life of surrender and mediating the life that you have into the world. In your name we pray. Amen. Go and be seated. So, yes, here we are at week three in a teaching series in the Lord's Prayer that we've entitled Teach Us to Pray. And so in this series, uh, we are looking at Jesus' model or his paradigm, kind of the, the, the language that I've been thinking of it as, as a skeleton for prayer. And so the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus said, therefore you should pray like this. What he's getting at is not... Um, simply wrote reciting of the Lord's Prayer, but this as a framework or a model for us to build our prayers around. And the best way to think about how we could do that is through by just identifying in the Lord's Prayer these six words or six movements that kind of, you know, shape the Lord's Prayer. So two weeks we've looked at so far our Father, which is the prayer of contemplation. Your name be honored as holy, which is the prayer of adoration. And then this week, here we are at the middle of the six, three, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so here at the halfway point, we reach what is for most of us the most memorable line of the Lord's Prayer. Most of us, maybe you don't even know all of the Lord's Prayer, um, walking in, but, but you at least kind of have some level of like, oh yeah, 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 your kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in many ways, it's the most memorable line in the Lord's Prayer. And yet, it also at the same time is the most murky. Like I get asking for my daily needs. I get worshiping God. But kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven just kind of gets murky. And most of this is largely because of the way that a lot of us have been taught to think and even pray about heaven itself. Just three examples. Uh, the first is from kind of the famous, like, uh, you can go to the next one, Nathan. The uh, kind of famous, you know, bedtime prayer. You know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It is so dark <laughs> to have like a five-year-old praying that. And yet, look what's there, right? I pray the Lord my soul to take. Or uh, in many ways, one of, it's one of my favorite hymns, but um, just a closer walk with thee. At the very end, the final line, when my feeble life is o'er, time for me will be no more. Guide me gently, safely o'er to thy kingdom shore, to thy shore. Or how great thou art, which we've sung in this room. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. So most of us conceive of this kind of kingdom of heaven as being an immaterial, individual, post-death destination. And yet when we come to the Lord's Prayer, we find Jesus talking about heaven as a global, universal experience that's coming here. 
most of us have been taught and led and believe heaven is more of like something that you go to or somewhere that you go to. And Jesus in the Lord's Prayer is teaching us that heaven is more like something that comes to us. And so this is why this little third line in the Lord's Prayer is the most memorable but the most murky for us. But what we find is that Jesus' way of talking about heaven like this isn't simply just something that he saves for the Lord's Prayer. Uh, if you go uh, flip over, you'll see it behind me, but um, in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 1, Jesus, this is the beginning of his ministry, he goes into Galilee proclaiming the good news, the gospel, right, of God. The time is fulfilled, and what? The kingdom of God has come near. Therefore, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe in what good news? That the kingdom of God is here, right? So just once again, notice that the gospel of Jesus, Jesus, what's the gospel? What's the thing that we put our faith in and we repent and believe in? Is not uh, believe in me and go to heaven when you die. The repent and believe is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here, right? And so this is Jesus's gospel that then continues throughout the story of scripture. And so the final story, the final scene setting in the book of Revelation, this kind of John's vision of like the future where history is going, the final portrait, what you find in Revelation 21, is not a bunch of souls going up to heaven, but a new city coming down to earth as the centerpiece of a renewed heaven and earth with the resurrected bodies of God's people living in this renewed heaven and earth. So once again, the overwhelming story, regardless of what our hymns and even little kids' nighttime prayers would lead us to believe, is not the end goal being going to heaven when you die. The end goal is Jesus bringing about the life of heaven here and now. This is what he's getting at. And so for Jesus, this was something that he was saying, it's at hand, it's drawn near, is not him simply pointing to the city of heaven, or the new Jerusalem coming down, and new heaven, renewed earth, all of that is not necessarily what he's looking at. This was not just his message, this was his whole ministry. Jesus understood that this wasn't something that we're just waiting for, it's something that is right here around us. Two examples of this in Luke 11 and Luke 10. Jesus is talking about his, his ministry of casting out demons, bringing spiritual freedom for people. And he says, if I drive out demons by the finger, the power of God, then the kingdom of God, or regularly throughout the gospels, the kingdom of heaven, they're used synonymously, has come upon you. And then Jesus gives his, ministry, his little disciples, he sends them out into all these towns to go and heal the sick who are there and tell them what? The kingdom of God has come near. That heaven has come near. So once again, Jesus' framework, what he's inviting us to pray for, is not a hopeful glance to the future, your kingdom come. It's about an ongoing, immediate experience that he brought about in his life, and he invites his disciples to walk in as well. How are we doing so far? Good. So what this then brings us out of is just a need to kind of identify that Jesus is inviting us into a different way of conceiving about really what we think about when we think about heaven. Again, I'll say it again just to get it in your minds, not the end goal being as somewhere you go after you die, but something that is at work within this world now and forever. And so when Jesus is delegating this to his disciples, what, what this has been come to be known as is intercessory prayer, interceding. The word interceding literally means to, to stand between something. And so Jesus, when he tells his disciples to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, 
on earth as it is in heaven, what we're doing in that prayer is interceding. We're standing in between the wealth, the power, the glory, the riches, the healing, the salvation, the freedom, the redemption of heaven. And we're looking out at the needs and the brokenness of the world. And we're saying, God, may it be there. May it be there on earth as it is in heaven in this situation and in this situation. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in this place. This is, this is what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus. This is what it means to be a disciple for Jesus. When he says, I want you to pray, your kingdom come, this is what he has in mind, a, a, like a priesthood of people who as they go through their lives and are finding areas where the kingdom of God is lacking, where love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and redemption and healing, where that's lacking, they're praying for and applying it in those places. But in order for us to understand fully what this looks like, and even where some of the tension lies for us, we've got to talk about what we might call the subversive inference of thy kingdom come. I just like big words because they make me seem smart, just like these glasses do. Subversive inference is what we might call thy kingdom come. Because just think about this for a moment. This reality of what heaven is bringing about on earth is something that Jesus refers to as a kingdom. Now he could ask us to pray instead of your kingdom come, uh, your salvation come, your healing come, your redemption come, right? Your justice come, your glory, your holiness come. But Jesus is very intentional with his words and he uses the language of kingdom in and around the fact that there's a lot of other political kingdoms that are presently arguing for their kingdom to be the one that comes, their kingdom to be the one at hand. And so when Jesus invites his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, it is not simply just the mediation of heaven and earth. It is in many ways a pledge of allegiance to the kingdom of God, to this work of heaven, over and against any other allegiances that any individual might make. So it's subversive to the claims of Caesar and his utopian views. It's subversive to any political system that claims divine right for itself as though they're the one that are bringing about God's intended purposes. And so whether that takes the form of like some of the Christian nationalism stuff today or whatever that looks like, Jesus is saying to pray thy kingdom come is to say, any other kingdom within the world is at best a distraction from the true place of where the work of God is going to come through the world. So this is the subversive inference when Jesus teaches us to pray that kingdom come. And so this is the basis for Desmond Tutu. He's an archbishop in Africa. He says, if governments knew how subversive prayer was, they would ban it. Why, why, what, what is Desmond Tutu getting at? The reality that to pray, thy kingdom come, is, to, is a pledge of allegiance. It is to say, even though I might be living here in America, my primary allegiance, my primary commitment is for the kingdom of God, and that is not for any kingdom of man that may argue that it is such. This is the subversive inference of thy kingdom come. Now, like I said, with Christian nationalism and stuff, this continues today, but for us over here, where we are in kind of the more, whatever, secular, Western kind of city, the subversive inference of the Lord's Prayer doesn't so much hit us with thy kingdom come, but the second line, thy will be done. Because here's what thy will be done infers. That God's will may in fact be different than yours. That God's agenda might be different than yours. That God might think about someone or something differently than you do. That God's will, his desires for you may not be your desires for you. So the subversive inference of praying, thy will be done, is my will not being done. 
And so this is taken just as disruptive and even discomforting as the, the thy kingdom come for those that are claiming some kind of political, you know, divine right, because we just, we live in an age, well, I'll just let Mark Sayers explain. He's an Australian pastor. Uh, this is his book, Disappearing Church. He says, what we are experiencing here in secular West is not the eradication of God from the Western mind, but rather the enthroning of the self as the greatest authority. God is increasingly relegated to the role of servant and massager of the personal will. So just bring all of this together here, is whereas in past generations you had tyrants, kings, queens, claiming divine right, claiming things like manifest destiny, that God is behind us, we can do whatever we want. And the secular age hasn't left behind any of that. All we've done is we've just multiplied it at a scale of a billion. We've just made it far more individual. We've made it far more personal. Still claiming things like divine right, still claiming things like manifest destiny, it just looks like your life and your dreams and what you want for yourself and your life and your dreams and the way that you want to pursue your deepest desires. And so this prayer of thy will be done is just as subversive because most of us, the way that we relate to God is... As, as he says, a massager of the personal will. And the, and the proof, honestly, is, is in your prayers. Just, just step back for a moment and think about the way that your prayers work. I would argue that for most of us, for most of us in the West, for the most of us in this city, for the most of us in the church, just being your pastor and knowing you, most of our prayers relate, would, would either fall into trying to enlist God in my own personal agenda for my life or asking God why he feels so distant from me. Most of our prayers are revolving between those two things. God, give me this. God, do this. God, this is what I want. This career, this relationship, this, this is what I want. So give this to me. And then the other half of our prayers are like, why are you so distant all the time? Why do I feel like I can't experience you? Why am I not seeing your kingdom at work within my life? And it's because of the fact that those two prayers are canceling one another out. Aldous Huxley, the author of Brave New World, writes, Our kingdom go is the necessary and unavoidable corollary of thy kingdom come. For there is, uh, for the, excuse me, for the more there is of self, the less there is of God. We cannot pray your kingdom come without first at some level saying my kingdom go. I cannot pray your will be done without at some level me being open to the fact that God may lead me to say my will be not and so our prayers often reveal the fact that this secularism is not something that's simply outside, but it's within the church as well. It's the way that we relate to God. Is the massager, I love that language, the massager of the personal will. That we expect our prayer life to be, I sit down and I start naming all of the problems and the things that I want, and God kind of puts his hands on my shoulders and, oh, tell me all about it, buddy. I know it's so hard. I'll give you whatever you want, right? Yeah, you're right. They are so mean, Right? where he's agreeing with all of my political stuff and all of my desires and the things that I want for myself and, and all of, like, they, they, I just expect that that's how God relates to me because I have enthroned myself as the source. I've said my kingdom come as opposed to God's. And so like I said, this is then why our experience of the kingdom of God in our lives, the kingdom of heaven, our experience of the felt presence of God is so distant. Flannery O'Connor, the great American novelist, she writes, you are the sl I love this. You are the slim crescent of a moon that I see, and myself is the earth's shadow that keeps me from seeing all the moon. 
What I am afraid of, dear God, is that my self-shadow will grow so large that it blocks the whole moon. I do not know you, God, because I am in the way. Once again, what she's identifying is the more and more that I infer my kingdom come, my will be done, the more and more that like the earth blocking out like a new moon, the more and more that I, I slowly block any experience of God and his kingdom in my life. And so the great danger of this reality is that this isn't something that we just experience right here and right now, but that this is a trajectory that guides not just the life that you live, but what happens on the other side of it. As C.S. Lewis famously wrote, in the end, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, your will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, your will be done. All that are on hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. Then he says, no soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. To those who knock, it is open. You can keep that up there for a moment. You see, what happens is your life is a trajectory of two directions. Greater and greater surrender to the will of God and his kingdom. Or greater and greater you setting down what you want your will to be. What you want your kingdom to look like. And the great danger is you do that going to church for your whole life and praying, trying to get God behind what you want. This isn't just something that happens out there. This is something that can happen in here. It's called spiritual bypassing. It's when you use God and spiritually talk your way out of the fact that what you're going into and what you're doing is the opposite of God's will and desire for you. It's the opposite of his kingdom. So the two directions are there. But the curious line of C.S. Lewis that I want to point out here is after talking about this, he says, no soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. You see, most of us, at least when I first read the quote, I, I begin to start saying, well, well no, um, Clive Staples Lewis, the problem here, the problem here, what leads to me saying my will be done is precisely that problem, a constant desire of joy. It's me chasing after happiness. It's me chasing after joy that leads me to say my will be done and not God's. That leads me to chase after the kingdom that will look like what I want, my little kingdom of my own life to be all that I want it to be rather than God's. And as C.S. Lewis writes elsewhere, the problem here is not that our, our sense, our desire for joy is too strong, but just that it's actually too weak. The problem of you claiming my will be done, my kingdom come, is not the fact that you've found something that's more joyful, but the fact that you've settled. You've settled for a smaller joy built around your ambition or your career, some relationship, American dream, whatever it might look like for you. See, the thing that's keeping you from the greatest joy is that you end up settling into something that's smaller and lower because at least you can imagine that. And the problem is that most of us just don't have an imagination for what on earth as it is in heaven could actually look like in our lives and then through our lives. And so this is where we then have to start asking the question, how do I expand my imagination then for what a life in the kingdom could look like? How, how do I get to the point where this, the kind of life that God wills for me, the life that the kingdom would have for me looks so much greater than anything else that I might currently want to desire? How do I, how do I change the desires of my heart? 
How do I change my will to be a will that's surrendered towards God's? How do I get off the throne that I've spent my whole life sitting on? I need my imagination to expand and change. Luke chapter 17, Jesus was asked by the Pharisees what the kingdom of God would look like, when it would come. Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven is not something that's coming, excuse me, is not coming with something observable. No one will say, see here or there, for you see the kingdom of God is in your midst. So what Jesus is saying here is the kingdom of God, the thing that you want to grow your imagination of, that's what these Pharisees are trying to do. Jesus, give us an imagination for what the kingdom's going to look like. What are we praying for when we pray your kingdom come? What is the kingdom that's worth leaving all of my kingdoms behind? And the difficulty for the Pharisees is they keep filling it within their pre-existing ideas of what the kingdom would look like. It must be political. It must look like this. It must be militaristic. And yet Jesus says to them, not... Let me explain for you what the kingdom of God is actually a way of life. That, you know, what does he say? It's in your midst. What Jesus is saying is you want to know what the kingdom looks like? You want to move the self-shadow out of the way so that you can truly see God for who God is and the life that he wants to bring in the world? He says what the picture that you're looking for is right here in front of you. He's talking about himself. This is a wild moment where Jesus will regularly be referred to as Messiah or King of the kingdom of God. But here's one moment where Jesus says, not just that the kingdom is at hand and the kingdom is coming, but he goes, the kingdom is right here with you. And it's not just the he, it's me. And so when you want to know what the kingdom of God looks like on earth that is in heaven, you just start reading through the gospels. And what does it look like? It looks like diseases being healed. It looks like spiritual darkness being pushed back. It looks like the prodigals being brought home. It looks like the sexually broken being restored. It looks like the poor being fed, the marginalized being welcomed in. It looks like uh, the spiritual and, and religious leaders um, pushing others down. It looks like them and their hypocrisy and their legalism being shut up. It looks like demons being sent away. It looks like uh, the devil himself being dethroned. It looks like death itself being undone. So this is part of what's going on within the Gospels. It's not just like, oh, look at Jesus. Isn't he a cool guy who died for me? What we're looking at is this is what on earth as it is in heaven looks like in a person. It, what, the Gospels are trying to expand your imagination for what it would look like for this life of Jesus to be in you. And you start realizing that this is a far greater story than anything else that I might have put together of my desires for my life. And so this is, this is what Jesus is bringing about. This is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the kingdom. Oh, man. So many things to be said. But the place that, that we have to keep in mind and the main center point here is like I've been talking about, your kingdom come comes right alongside your will be done. And so any true mediation of the kingdom, any true intercession for the kingdom will always be married to a surrender of your agenda, a surrender of your will, and a surrender of your desires. So this is when Jesus is walking around and he's doing all of these things that I've just talked about. And religious leaders come to him and they go, you know, how are you doing all this kind of stuff? What is up with you, Jesus? How, why? What, where's this coming from? What's the basis and the source of this on earth as is in heaven power? And Jesus' answer is, I only do what I see the Father doing. I've surrendered myself to the Father's will. That's how this is happening. 
Or another place, he says, my bread, a way of talking about my sustenance and my satisfaction is in doing the will of him who sent me. How am I able to bring about thy kingdom come? It's because I have so deeply surrendered myself to my father's will being done, no matter the cost. And this is what led him precisely to the cross. On the night before his arrest in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, He went a little farther, this being Jesus. He fell to the ground and he prayed, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. That is him going to his cross. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Back when we taught through Mark's gospel, I referred to this as the Lord's Prayer in Mark's gospel. So the Lord's Prayer appears in Matthew and in Luke, but we don't really see one in Mark. And I would argue that it doesn't get given as a teaching that he gives to his disciples, it happens right here. Notice that you have the first three movements of the Lord's Prayer that appear right here. Father, he adores his name. All things are possible for you. And then, but in place of saying your kingdom come and your will be done, we find him wrestling to get to the place of being able to pray that. He's struggling through his own desires and he's going, man, and what I love about Mark and the other gospels to say is that this wasn't a one-time prayer for Jesus of like, God, I don't wanna do it, but I guess I will. Like this was multiple nights and hours of prayer and laboring in prayer going, God, this is the desire that I want, but I'm, I'm giving myself over. I'm surrendering. Help me to give myself over for your greater desire. And it's as Jesus gets to the place of saying, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will, that's what unlocks the kingdom in your life and mine. Surrendering his will for the fathers, giving up his agenda and receiving the fathers is how the kingdom broke into this world. And so this continues for us today. And this is what Jesus now, well, this is what Jesus goes to, but to go back to the C.S. Lewis line one more time is the reason that Jesus got, how did Jesus get to the point? How did he push through desires for his own life and the the pain and the loss and the shame of the cross? What propelled him to drop all of his desires and surrender them to receive what the father wanted? What we find is that it wasn't dogged obedience, that he was just a better human than you. What we find, going back to C.S. Lewis, was that he had found a greater joy that propelled him through it. Hebrews chapter 12 You can go to the next one. What was the reason that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that lay before him? How do you you honestly drop your desires and receive the desire of God for your life? How do you set down your agenda and, and just say, God, I want your agenda in my life? Jesus gives the example here. It's by having, finding that the, the will of God the plan of God, the agenda of God, what he wants to do, the kingdom of God is actually the place where there's a greater joy compared to anything else that you might think that you'll find it in. And the only place that you can find that and believe that that's actually true is once again by looking at the life of Jesus, the salvation that he offers, the forgiveness that he gives, the empowering work of his spirit, that is the place where you find it all. And so like he says, Jesus doesn't just go into the cross and and die for our sins to bring about forgiveness, to conquer death, to be enthroned as the saving and self-giving king. But three days later, he resurrects from the dead. And then it says, he ascends to the right hand of the father. We're not, he's not like a Dallas-Fort Worth on a layover waiting for new creation. What does it say? Hebrews chapter seven. 
But because he remains forever, that is that he now lives resurrected forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is the one that's been resurrected and now stands in the gap between heaven and earth and is the one that holds and is bringing the two together through his kingship. And what happens then is he is now praying for you. He is praying for me. And in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your sin and your shame and your guilt and your fear, he stands praying presently at the right hand of the throne of God saying, in their life on earth as it is in heaven. In their life, God, may your kingdom come. In their life, God, may your will be done. Would you empower them? He sends the spirit to us, right? This is what Jesus is doing. And so he's praying for you constantly. And then the great gift of the Lord's prayer is that Jesus then also says, it's like he, he wants you to sit on his lap and join him in interceding. And we begin to pray and intercede with him. We start praying for the kingdom to come. As we go about living our lives out in the world and we're looking in the places where there's brokenness and darkness and there's shame and guilt and fear and the tragedies, as we are now like sitting with Jesus and like Jesus in his life, we're going and we're mediating and we're praying for and bringing about, may your kingdom come in this instance. Jesus, may the healing of God be seen in this place of cancer. May the redemption be seen in this place of brokenness. May you, right? This is what Jesus tasks you to do. Not simply to be saved so you can by and by in the sky when he comes with trumpet sound, I'll get zapped up to heaven. The life that he has for you is participating in the ongoing work that he's doing in this world. And, and to be sure, if you die before he returns and renews all things, what we find is, you know what you do? You go join Jesus interceding for the saints that are presently alive. That's what Revelation says. So, so this is just practice for what, if you get to join Jesus on like the heavenly layover, is you just, you're practicing for the work that you're gonna be doing for the rest of the saints later. And so this is what Jesus invites us into. So let's get practical now because that's always the best part of the sermon. I'm just kidding. Um, but it is, I think, hopefully the most helpful. The primary place that this kind of intercession takes in the life of a disciple is through the formation of a daily prayer practice. And so this is what we've been trying to build through this Teach Us to Pray series is adding each week a different form of prayer where we are learning to pray like Jesus. And so we began with our Father in heaven and, and we began with contemplating the Father, just receiving his love and identifying our, just receiving our identity as his children. And then last week we talked about adoring his name, taking time just to worship who God is, to set, take the spotlight off of ourselves and replace God at the center of all things. And so this week we now come into the third movement of interceding for his kingdom. Now, if you've missed the past few weeks and you wanna catch up, we have the podcast, but we also have at collectivechurch.com slash current series, a kind of framework that I've been building and adding to each week with kind of everything I'm about to talk about that's right there to kind of help you figure out how to do this. But for this week, with the practice of interceding for his kingdom, looking at what we've just talked about, what we have to identify is a daily invitation into two forms of prayer that are the two forms of intercession. And the first is releasing, and the second is asking. Your will be done is the prayer of releasing. Your kingdom come is the prayer of asking. So let's just talk about these briefly. The first 
is the prayer of releasing, of praying your will be done. After coming out of contemplating the Father and adoring his name, we now just pray, God, would you help me to surrender myself fully to what you want to do in my life today? Help me to to lay aside my agendas, my desires, and to receive in their place what you want to do. If you struggle to figure out what your will is, just in prayer, you just take a moment and you just pay attention as you look ahead at the day, where is your anxiety, where is your fear, and where is your anger? Those normally are the the, the telltale signs that you've got a will. You've got an agenda somewhere. Otherwise, you're, you're anxious about that not going the way that you want, or you're angry that you think it won't. And so as you begin to just identify, oh, this, this person, I have an agenda for how this person is going to treat me today. I have an agenda for God myself even and what my day is going to look like today. I have a will for how certain things are going to play out. I just begin to release those things. And I say, God, your agenda, your will is the thing that I want done today. And so I just want to release this and I pray, Holy Spirit, in its place where there's anxiety, as I trust in you, would you give me peace? Where there's fear, I pray that you would give me trust. Where there's anger, would you give me patience? And may I just give myself over to your will and just what you want. One of the ways that this is kind of taken, I got her permission before I talked about this, but I was talking to Erin about all this this week, and she was just identifying that over the past few weeks, months now, but she's just moved in her daily prayer where normally one of the first things she would begin to pray, and this is you know, some of her own story and the way that she's wired, is she'd start praying for health and safety. Those are one of the first things she prayed for when she prayed about her day, right? God, keep us safe, keep us healthy. Keep us safe, keep us healthy. And so what she just found was, that's me saying my will be done. Now, does God desire? Yeah, most of the time. And so what she just started moving to is, yes, still praying for that, God, if, you know, would you keep us safe? But first praying, God, we trust you with ourself and with our, with, with our health and with our safety. You just notice the difference there. And it's not that we're not praying for health and safety, but it's saying, God, at the end of the day, it's your agenda that I want and not my own. One thing that's helpful for me, if you're kind of more of the journaling type, and you can do this over the course of a couple hours or you can do this in a couple of minutes, just depends on how long you go, but it's just simply to take a, a journal, piece of paper, or even ugh, your phone. But what you do... <laughs> is you just first write, I want. And you could spend 10 minutes on this or two minutes on this. You can name 20 things or three things. And you just write the first, just a list of wants, just stream of consciousness. What are the things I want? Six-pack abs, you know, whatever. Just fill in all the things. And then you move to, uh, after doing a couple of those, you move to, I fear. And you just list some of the first fears that come to mind. And then you step back and you begin to compare the two lists. And what you will find every single time is how tightly bound up they are. And if the life that Jesus is inviting us to is a life without fear, then what we have to do is release those wants. And so then you write out a prayer that begins with, I surrender. And you just give over and release, God, I release my wants and I release in doing so my fears. And I ask that you would fill them in that place. Richard Foster, oh man. He writes, the great struggle of my life is not trying to discern God's will. I've got a whole book that helps me understand that. It's trying to discern and then disown my own. Once I see that, prayer flows. Why? Because I have to be praying because I'm no longer in charge. See, most of us, our absence of prayer is just the fact that we're so busy trying to manage our own agendas and wills and desires. And if we were actually to let those down, we get into the place where we really now have to start praying. 
And so after praying, your will be done, we move into your kingdom come. Now we've set aside, at least we're trying to, we're asking the spirit to help us, but at least we're aware of our agenda and our will for the day. And we can begin to start looking out of the world and start interceding and asking for God's kingdom to come. So it's the friend who, who's outside of a relationship with Jesus. It's the, the sibling who's walked away from Jesus. It's the parent who we don't know how to have that conversation with them. It's the, the sickness or the cancer that we don't know what we're going to do with in that friend's relationship. It's that coworker that like, I, what I, for the kingdom to come, it's reconciliation is what we need. When I wake up and, and I, I wake up and the first thing that comes to mind is the tragedies that are happening in the world. There's another mass shooting. There's another war over here. The, the, this is the place where I can start to say, your kingdom come, God. And I start praying for those things and naming those things. And, and like Jesus says in, in Matthew 6, we don't need to be overly wordy and verbose. We just simply say, Jesus, would you heal my dad? Jesus, May your kingdom come in my relationship with my children today. Jesus, may your will be done in the midst of my loneliness. Help me to know what to do with that. Jesus, would your will be, right? You just, just simply just name the things that come to mind, trusting that the fact that those are coming out now because you've named your desires is not because those are necessarily just I'm praying for what I want. I'm allowing myself to be a mediator of heaven and earth that God has placed me in the relationships, in the city, in the neighborhood, in the workplace that he has, so I might be an intercessor. And so me praying for my coworker isn't me being selfish. It's me living into the fact that this is where God has placed me to intercede, to be a mediator of on earth as is in heaven. Now, one thing that might be helpful for some is um, keeping like a little journal of different situations and things where you're, that you're praying for God's kingdom to come in, for his healing, his salvation, his redemption, his forget, right? His reconciliation. And so keeping a journal and, and just writing things down, what that can help with is not feeling like when you get to this time of prayer every day, you're like, um, uh, the garbage man. You hear like the garbage truck. You're like, I pray for him, right? Now, you guys have all been there, right? You try praying. You're like, I don't know what to pray for. So you're just like, uh, the, the lamp? Do I pray for lamps? Like, is that something that we do? Like, you just start, just having that is you can open it up. Oh, yes, this, this, this. It's great to have that either in like a journal you keep with you or on your phone because when you're talking to people, you're at discipleship group and they're, oh, I'm going through. You can go, oh, I'll pray for you and not actually just be like trying to figure out how to transition out of the awkward conversation. You can genuinely do something about that, right? That was a joke. Um... And so, so keeping that journal is helpful. And then it also allows you just to rotate through certain things every day. So you're like, all right, Tuesdays and Thursdays are just like, you know, Jeff days or whatever. I'm praying for Jeff, right? Or in Wednesdays are, you know, I'm praying for grandma, right? So you can rotate through that. And then also what that helps is then you have a tangible record of answered prayer where you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> right? There we go, I'm dying. <laughs> I got so far, I'm still recovering from something. Um, but so, in a, in a quick line, though, on, I didn't know what to do with this, on unanswered prayer. What do we do when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, and we're pretty sure what God's kingdom looks like, healing, and it doesn't happen, right? Now, there's a whole sermon right there, and, and I, and I want to do that. So I'll just point you to, to one resource, and then I'll just give kind of a simple thing that at least for me helps carry it. doesn't answer it, but it helps me carry it. Uh, the first is we have a recommended reading um, on the current series page that um, has multiple chapters that deal with what do we do with unanswered prayer. And so I just recommend, if you're struggling through that, just get that, read that. It's a helpful guide. But here's what I will say. What's most helpful for me, once again, this doesn't answer, but it helps me carry it, 
is the reality that when Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth it is in heaven, is that that is an already and not yet reality. And so I'm going to pray and pursue like all get out, believing that all these instances may be already moments where the kingdom of heaven may break through and dawn. But there may be moments sometimes where what the answer that I find is a not yet. And what that requires of me is depending on your theological tradition, some of you are a little more sovereignty, some of us are a little more biblical. Um, I'm totally kidding. That was unnecessary. I know, that was not, we'll cut that from the podcast. I'm still working through where I am on all this. I'll just say, here's the two things that it requires. Already not yet, in a moment where we find that God has answered not yet, and we were certain that was what God's will is, it requires one of two things. For some of us, depending on how you lean, it will require you to have a greater and a trust in God's greater will. That God is in charge and all the language that you use for that, and he's going to do something about, you know, he's doing, but he said not yet to this because he's, he's, he is good, his kingdom is coming, and he's going to bring something about. And others of us, on the other side, what we have to trust in the midst of that is that that it's not necessarily a matter of, of, of God's greater will, but God's greater victory that's coming. And so we can trust that God is at work, and he's, he's, there is a battle, there is a world that is turned against God, and God is navigating and bringing about victory where he does. And so in both cases, we look with trust. Both of those are about trust. And so like I said, there's all those questions, what about my mom who passed without knowing Jesus, and I felt like she was close, or they died and we prayed, but then we prayed over here and this person was healed. How does that work? The, 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 the bucket that we carry all that in is simply the already, not yet. As we just, we just say, there, there are going to be instances where it's going to be not yet, but, and this is the thing that we're most prone to do, not yet doesn't mean that we don't lean into the alreadies and look for them. You hear me? Okay. So as we wrap up, here's the one final thing, one closing thing. And this is to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the things we must be aware of is that God is going to enlist you to embody your prayer. So here's the thing. You may be praying for healing. At the end of the day, God alone is the one who will heal, but he will enlist you to serve. You may pray for someone to meet Jesus, but he is going to call you to speak. God alone is the one who saves, but he's going to call you to speak. God alone is the one who builds his kingdom, but he is going to call you to witness to it, to participate in it. And so we have to be very careful about the things that we start praying about. Because one of the things that we might find is that the one of the primary ways that God wants to answer the prayer is in you surrendering your desire, your agenda, and your will. We begin to find, God, would you help, help, you know, you ever prayed that for somebody? God, would you help so-and-so, you know, I don't know, be a better person or whatever. You're just so annoyed with them. And the primary way that Jesus brings that about is by you guys entering into conflict and working through it. Is that no one else's marriage? That's just mine. Like, God, help Aaron in the way that we, is just like, not, not that. But um, <laughs> is through the butting of head. Like, the way that God brings about his will is in ways that I never would have imagined and included me far more than I thought. And this pattern is exactly what you find in the life of Jesus. Remember once again that Jesus says the kingdom is at hand. He's interceding for it. And the way that he does it, yes, he's in heaven now. But what happened 2,000 years ago was the reality that his intercession took the form of his incarnation. His mediating heaven and earth took the form of him becoming embodied and human and moving into the neighborhood, as Tim Keller put it. 
And so for us now to pray like Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done, means that God may direct you in prayer to go do something about the very thing that you're praying for. Sometimes, yes, it may just be simply you releasing your concerns. I I genuinely don't know what you are going to do about the war in Gaza. Like God may call you, but that, that may simply you just be being an interceder who looks at the situation and prays. But more often than not, in the areas where your little pocket of earth is, God's gonna call you to be his, not just intercessor, but his mediator. I'll close with um, N.T. Wright, because he's always right. He says, we can only pray this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if we're prepared to mean, make us kingdom bearers. Make us a community of healed healers. Make us a retuned orchestra to play the kingdom music until the world takes up the song. Make us in turn servants of the Lord, the few with the message for the many. To pray your kingdom come, your will be done is to surrender our wills and surrender our lives, not just to seeing the kingdom in break through our prayers, but through our lives. So let's pray.